Hi, my name is Amira Dalla, and I work at Mozilla Foundation, and I live in New York City. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. I do hi. I do that. On my, <laughs> I've done that on my voicemail, and I leave. Yeah. A, I leave a pause, and people have started talking to me. Oh. And then when the, the, I'm not here, mm-hmm. please leave a message. And then they get so angry. And they say, "I just started talking to you, and this is a voicemail." Um, you're the type of voicemails I hate receiving because I start having a conversation with you, and then I get so deceived and upset, and then I'm like, "Damn it!" <laughs> oh, how are you enjoying New York? You haven't always lived here, but how are you enjoying it? Yeah, so I lived in Toronto, yeah. which is where we, we met and know each other from. Um, but I, so I actually had a moment where I realized I've been here for over five years now. Okay. Which is a long time. That's yeah. half a decade. Yeah. Um, and then I had a moment where I was like, I must really love New York because I came here initially for like six months or a year, and then oh. I came back, and then I just never left. So I think the answer is I love New York. You love New York. <laughs> yeah. Do you miss home at all? Do you miss Toronto? Oh, of course. Yeah. It's it's been really interesting. Um, so I miss Toronto because obviously my family's there yeah. and so much of the city I grew up in is there. But it's been really funny to watch Toronto from not living there because mm-hmm. Toronto's gone through a lot in the last five years. Yeah. Um, it's almost been like it's it's coming huh. of age. I feel, I feel like Toronto's coming of age. And in the last five years, it's grown in so many ways. And as a now outsider, I've just been able to like watch that change evolve. I guess you can so, see that because I, I, I look back right. and go, I, I, what the heck has changed in five years? I, go, I don't see anything. Yeah. I have moments when I go back home and I'm like, so much has changed and yeah. nothing has changed. Yeah. I have those, those contradictory moments. But, you know, as an industry, I think so much of Toronto has changed. Uh, okay. I, go, I go back and I'm like, all these skylines have appeared. It's mm. turned more into a city. It's kind of reaching the, we're a big city, but we don't want to be a big city. We want to be local and, and cultured. And, you yeah. know, we're still owning diversity and how that comes out in, in the city. And, yeah. you know, certain things have, have really grown. Like tech, the tech culture has, mm-hmm. has grown immensely since five years ago when, yes. you know, we were in it was a small group of people. And now it's, it's huge. It's, yeah. it's the heart of the city almost. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's changed. It's changed a lot, and I've definitely been able to witness that. Interesting. You went to. Let's go back to your school. You went to Laurier. Yeah. BA. Yes. What did you major in? Um, well, I, I did a honors uh, business admin. Okay. Um, and then I okay. and then I did uh, I did I focused in uh, marketing in my last year, and okay. I did a minor in women's studies. Ah. Now, how does how does that translate into getting into tech? Hmm. Um, well, so I make a joke and I say business is something I did because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, okay. uh, it, it sounded right. My parents supported it. It was something I could jump into and, you know, go many different ways. Because you did marketing like right, right out of school. You were like a brand manager. Yeah. Right? Well, like so I did the co-op program at Laurier, which okay. I, I loved because it taught me what I didn't want to do. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That's important. <laughs> right? Well, this is the whole point. You get experience, and yeah. most people are like, okay, I got experience, and now I know what I love. And I was like, I got experience, <laughs> and I came out being like, like, I know what I don't like. 
Because I, I went in, I had a job when I was younger, and I worked at a marketing and advertising agency. Okay. So I was really familiar with brands and products and marketing. Yeah. And so when I was doing my co-op, I worked at amazing companies like Disney Consumer Product and, and Unilever on the Dove brand. And mm-hmm. those were the places where I, I loved it and people were familiar with it and it sounded great. But like in them, I didn't feel great. I felt okay. slow and like I didn't have a lot of power and that... The things I were doing weren't able to, to reach the audiences I wanted to. Interesting. And so I ended up doing my, my last co-op at a, at a tech firm that, you know, at that time was relatively small. Whoa, and which one was it? It was called Quick Play Media. And so you actually might not know them by name, and that's because they're a B2B company. So yeah. they don't actually serve consumers directly but you know their product. Um, so they were the first ones in North America to put video on a mobile device. Oh, wow. So when you saw like the Olympics or the inauguration or anything live streaming on your phone for it the first there. time ever, yeah, it was Quick Play Media. Oh, wow. And so um, as you can imagine, they were first to market across North America. So yeah. they served AT&T, um, all the US companies as well. Um, and so they were the first ones to market. And at that time we were like about 60 people and when I ended up leaving so I went and worked there after I graduated but when I ended up leaving it was well over 100 they had become one of the top um, 50 companies in Canada and they their their revenue shares was in the millions because uh, they had grown so much that's amazing yeah it was it was cool and it was great to be a part of and you know a company that moves that quick and is able to you know change and adapt with, with and be so technology driven was what really then drove me into technology yeah um, when we, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I should say we met or we re-met because I, I still can't remember. I was your brother's counselor at a camp. Right. And I don't for the life of me remember. And I think I don't remember because he probably looked totally different <laughs> than he did even, you know, even, you know, five, six years ago. Right. Um, when he said, yeah, you were my counselor and, and, and you, and he says to me, I'm so nervous about about ever seeing this again. He said to me that I wrote something, um, that something to the nature of it, and I might be totally off by what he told me, that I said he wouldn't amount to anything because he was like very destructive at camp <laughs> and something like that. And he said he's, he's held on to that. Um, and and I've, I, I think I've asked him, I said, let me see that. Because I, 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 I told him I don't remember you <laughs> from there. But he says, yeah, I, I was a troublemaker back then. But I don't remember if you and I met earlier or if we met when you started working at My City Lives. Right. Um, but you go, was that your first foray into quote-unquote community management and, and working in terms of um, putting together and empowering communities? Um, so for a long time I said yes. Oh. Uh, but then I had a moment where I was cleaning out my my room at home as you know sometimes you do and you find a box of old stuff and I found a a job position description that I had when I was 16 and it was at the marketing and advertising agency and my role was called community manager which at that point um, didn't mean anything to me and I didn't know that that was gonna in the future be this whole new role and and industry that people would go into Mm -hmm. Um, and my responsibilities were largely a lot of research and and 
going through data, but also managing online communities and the people that we connected and networked with. Mm-hmm. Um, so at first, like uh, my first idea was, yeah, my first community-driven role was at My City Lives. Yeah. And then I had this moment where I found this paper and I was like, I've been doing this for so much longer and I had no idea. You had no idea. Yeah, so I think I, I've been doing it now for, I guess, like a, a really long, long time. time yeah. But I, I naturally keep going to this place where I love working with people and yeah. I love managing them across spaces and places. Yeah. Um, and learning how, and one of the things that's been really cool is learning how to best do that. Interesting. Now, when you first started there, where were you before my my students? What was your job before that? I was at Quick Play Media, Quick so Play. the tech, the first startup tech firm that I worked ah, for. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now, how was it going? You know, from from a company that you said you know was millions of dollars in revenue, to working mm-hmm. for your brother, startup. How was like? What was that decision? What was it? Was it like? Wow, I'm still living at home. Let me take this chance. Or you know, tell me about that. Um, I was so excited to go work at My City Lives. Okay. Um, so it wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I, I believed in my brother and yeah. Adam um, and what they were building. Yeah. And I had, I would believed in that well before I even started working there. And I always found ways to connect with them, okay. uh, bringing them to Laurier to do work there and other sort of stuff. Uh, I even, I even took myself, um, I, I ended up creating a project for myself in university where instead of going to class for one semester, I, I wrote a case study on My City Lives. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was, I was really excited. I was so okay. overly eager that going there after I graduated kind of felt like a natural next step. What did you see in, in, in them to, so, to make you, you know, do that project? Uh, I, I would be amiss if I didn't say I had younger child admiration of my older child sy- syndrome. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm going to name it. Um, I admire my brother yeah. and I knew he was always someone I wanted to be able to work with and wow. be able to be closer to. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a good age gap between us. So, you know, I didn't grow up with him being able to do much with him. My sister and him are closer in age. So they went to school together. They had similar friends. I always thought your sister was the youngest. No, I'm the youngest. You're the youngest? Uh, yeah, I'm the youngest oh, wow. of three. Okay. Um, so, so part of it was like I genuinely wanted to be around my brother and to learn oh, from wow. him as a leader. Okay. Um, and then the other part was like really being core to a mission-driven organization. Mm. Um, for me, I worked at a tech startup and then moving to a mission-driven tech startup was yeah. blending the two realms of technology and social enterprise. And that's where I knew I really wanted to be. Um, And I really wanted to be able to do something where I could connect with people or allow for connections to happen. And My City Lives was built on the premise that we could connect people in local cities or around the world through video. And that's what really drove me there. Okay, And I guess the experience in video was, uh, was probably another huge factor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we knew video was going to own media content online, and we might have been even way early considering what we were going to be doing. Way early, because it just seems yeah. like now. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, now, you know, I was at Advertising Week here in New York, um, and, you know, the big thing, obviously, the big thing they're looking forward to is like AI and, right. and all that sort of stuff, but um, a lot of the talk on, on what brands are doing now was centered around video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they're doing on all the different uh, on, on all the different platforms. Um, My city lives was around for a few years. Yeah. Um, why? I guess one of the things you know it was early, uh, early days in terms of video. Uh, but why wasn't it the right time? Do you think for for that company? 
Yeah, so I left before we ended up transitioning and closing kind of that avenue. Okay. Um, I left because I came to New York, which I do not regret once. Um, but, you know, My City Lives, it, it was a beautiful idea to connect people, mm -hmm. to showcase video on an interactive map, uh, to blend things like YouTube and Google Maps, in essence, you know, kind of what it was, but be able to explore a city are, are all things and ideas that are popular even now, mm -hmm. are valuable even now. Um, the, the hard part with, you know, startups and those type of tools or programs are just that, you know, you need enough funders and you need mm -hmm. enough users yeah. and it's which one comes first. And it's kind of like a chicken and egg sort of game where mm -hmm. you can't get people to fund it if you don't have enough users and you don't have enough users if you don't have funding and money to get the people there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we battled with that because we had, we had a good base in Toronto, but you know, we wouldn't have met mass people coming online and, and using it regularly in their lives without, you know, creating and developing it at a quicker rate and, and you know, really making it invaluable to people. Yeah. And so, and then we weren't able, we were funded, but we weren't able to sustain funding unless we got the mass quota online. So it's kind of like you're chasing both ways, which is what a lot of startups are doing right now. That's right. Um, so, so that is definitely an issue. The, the other part of it is just that it was moving towards you know, if it was funded, it was funded by um, media outlets. So, say the Toronto Star was really interested in embedding it on its on its platform. Mm -hmm. So, people were really, really excited to use it as a white label okay. product where they could take it, they could embed it on their platform, yeah. and then they could, you know, curate what they wanted to show. Mm. So, if you were BlogTO, yeah. and you were doing an article of like best ice cream shops in Toronto, you could create and curate your own playlist of videos that pop up on a screen and allow people great user engagement once they land on this list of best ice cream shops. Mm -hmm. So that was, it's a great use case of it. Um, and you know what, as that existed, we knew that we had found something that worked and that people were genuinely interested in using that. But doing that was not intriguing to, uh, mm -hmm. to myself or others who were really driven by mission and social connection of people because at that point it turns into um, an ad agency or model or yeah. marketing model and you know for people that are driven so much by social mission it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to spend my okay. core time doing yeah and and that's you know it could be what other people want to do and that's totally that's great that's what we need yeah. um, but you know us at the core we wanted to work on this thing and what it turned into was not necessarily what we wanted to continue doing okay. So you make another leap coming, yeah. coming to New York. Yeah. Yeah. Where did, where did you end up landing? Um, so I, I started by doing a grad certificate program at NYU, okay. which was my first entrance into New York, okay, okay. Um, which I finished pretty quickly. It was in digital media marketing. Okay. Um, and then from there, I, I knew I wanted to stay in New York and I didn't know uh, how to stay in New York because mm -hmm. I needed a visa. Um, and so I, I worked odd jobs. I worked, uh, I did some freelancing jobs in, out of Toronto. I worked for Center for Social Innovation New York. Okay. Um, I worked at an intersection of a bunch of things, blending what I liked. Uh, and then shortly after I got picked up by Mozilla. Nice. In Toronto though, yeah? Or was it in, always in New York? Um, no, I got picked up in Toronto. Okay. So uh, it was the agreement I made with my company where I would ah. start in Toronto and eventually come back to New okay, York. Okay, so you wanted to come. Uh, well, your certificate program that you did at yeah. NYU, mm -hmm. um, you can have done that in Toronto. 
Yeah. So was there an attraction? I want to go do this. In, was New York an attraction to you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think the, the greatest value from that program actually just came from being in New York. Okay. Um, it's not something I would I would say you should do. I think it was valuable for what it was. And for a lot of people uh, who weren't in that industry, it was a great learning experience. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as, as a lot of times they say, coming to school in New York, the greatest experience is actually just being in New York. Yeah. And meeting the people of New York and getting introductions to the organizations you want to you wanna get to know and stuff like that. So tell me about Mozilla. What was your first role here? Um, my first role was the campaign and community manager. So I was brought on board to run uh, this huge campaign called Maker Party. Um, so Maker Party was one time of the year which we invited our community around the world to celebrate making by running an event where they focus on hands-on making and learning about web and technology. Okay. Now when people think of Mozilla, they think of Firefox. Yeah. Um, and when I heard that they that Firefox was just a thing that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that funded everything else, I was like, well, what is this everything else stuff? Mm -hmm. um, so for those who don't know, like, Mozilla is more than Firefox, right? Yeah. Tell, tell me about how this all sort of works together. Well, Mozilla is a company that is out to create a healthy internet. Okay. Um, and it does so in, in a variety of ways. And Mozilla is a non-for-profit, which most people don't know. So okay. it is completely social mission focused and it's yeah. out there to actually protect the internet, um, which you know we don't often talk about, but is currently under threat. Yeah. There's a lot of threats against the internet today as we know it. And Mozilla is one of the organizations along with others who are working in the space to to keep it healthy, to keep it open, to keep it free and accessible for everyone. Okay. Um, and it does so in a variety of ways. So it creates programs like the ones I work on that really allow for more people to use it, people who might not have access, mm -hmm. um, you know, tools that people can use and leverage in their own communities. Uh, and then it, it has products like Firefox, uh, you know, other ones that have existed like Thunderbird or, or others. Thunderbird. Yeah, so that, that people love and might not have even known are associated to Firefox or yeah. were, were created out of Mozilla. Yeah. Um, and so it creates tools and products and it creates programs and it does a lot of advocacy as well to mm -hmm. protect the internet. So every time, okay. you know, net neutrality happens, Mozilla is one of the organizations that's actually fighting against net neutrality to really work on keeping the internet this open place. Okay. So what is it, what is it when people talk about net neutrality, um, what, what needs to be protected there or what are we talking about? Right. I, so net neutrality is very confusing for a lot of people. So yeah. I'm going to try to simplify it as much as I can. Yeah. Um, the, the truth is the internet is a threat at being owned by a lot of monopolies. Okay. And when monopolies own it, they can control the internet. Okay. Um, the so information that goes through it, they, what people have access to. And what it costs, and, what it costs. and where you can access it, or okay. who can access it. Okay. There are so many things under threat if a few people own it. Okay. Think of, I like to relate it to, think of, um, well, in, in Canada, you have WestJet and Air Canada, who yeah. own pretty much all the airlines and, mm -hmm. and air traffic, right? Yeah. And because of that... Think of how expensive it is to fly in Canada versus yeah. anywhere else in the world. That's so true. It's it's the worst, and because of that, Canadians don't travel like in or in their own country, which I always thought was the biggest mistake, and yeah. it sucks. I've not seen much of Canada yeah. compared to what I've seen the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, and so if a, if a couple people, like the government or, or otherwise, control who owns it, and fewer people own it, that means they can do things like create a cost to own it or increase cost to own it. 
select where they want to put broadband in a, in a country or city, which might mean only some people have access and some people mm -hmm. don't. Um, and they might want to, you know, restrict content or, you know, for those that pay a lot of money to that conglomerate or whatever it could be, then they might over promote and allow faster broadband access to, to that site or that product or whatever it could be. Mm -hmm. And so it, it makes it so unequal. It makes access unequal. It makes content unequal. It makes, um, you know, any like openness unequal. And so that's really what's under threat when we look at net neutrality. And we really want to combat that and saying, no, the internet should be free and owned by the people. Okay. And that's really what we're pushing for. Makes sense. Good. The term <laughs> net neutrality seems to be misunderstood, right? Like I, I understand sort of the idea of what we want the internet to be. But every time I hear that term, I go, am I for the concept of like when I hear just hear the term right. net neutrality, I, I think in my head, yeah, I want it to be neutral. That sounds like a good thing, but apparently it's like it's not. It's not a good thing. Is that is that? Yeah, is that it's right? not a good thing. Okay. Yeah, we're we're definitely not wanting the government yeah. to put rules that make it net net neutral. Okay, makes sense. Um, you're now doing a lot of work. I've seen, you know, photos, you're, you're going to, um, you go a lot to Africa, it seems, um, you know, working with children and working with girls specifically. Tell me about your role, like today and how, you know, how, I guess how it morphed from this one maker event right. uh, to what you do today. Yeah. Um, so I'm really lucky at Mozilla uh, that I've been able to kind of carve out something that I love to do, oh, wow. okay. um, which, you know, you don't often get. And mm -hmm. I've been in an organization that gave me space to kind of create the things and, and be able to um, own things that I really were focused and cared passionately about. So, you know, I started with this campaign, uh, which was a one off event. And, you know, from there, we started listening to the community and learning what they wanted. So I spent a couple of years doing, you know, campaign work, working with our global networks and community and, you know, supporting them in different ways and knowing what they wanted and working with uh, teaching curriculum and, and tools that would help them. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, we started to learn that one-off events were great. And if you go to a maker fair in your city, like you are inspired, yeah. um, but that might not change your life. One okay. event might not be able to, to actually instill the learning you need to be able to actually, you know, have a greater knowledge of technology and how the internet works and, and what your space, what your place in it is. Okay. Um, and so we started, we started talking to the community and with them, we actually developed this program called Mozilla Clubs. And okay. Mozilla Clubs really allowed you to take the essence of this event and actually do it ongoingly in your community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mozilla Clubs are defined as, as events that teach you how to read, write, and participate on the web um, in engaging and local ways. And so we've really worked with our community to continue to be able to do that. And so we created this program, which, you know, a couple years ago, a few years ago, was, was starting out in small. Now it's, you know, 500 plus Mozilla Clubs from around the world, mm -hmm. um, you know, in hundreds of cities and uh, over 100 countries that are actually working towards this thing. And so in, in Compass in that, we've, or I, I really get the opportunity to 
develop this program, help shape that global network, get them involved, get these leaders and educators and informal educators the tools that they need to actually teach digital literacy in their local community. Okay. Um, and, and that's been really exciting and really fun because I get to work with this global audience and do that. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other side of things, I've really been able to work with Mozilla and shape our gender program. So I did this, and Mozilla's never owned a gender program, so this was something brand new to Mozilla. Okay. Um, but we knew as we, we talked about a healthy internet and we focused on something called digital inclusion, yeah. we know that women were predominantly a large group that was not included online or were facing many threats online. And so we knew this was something we cared about, yeah. um, and our, our partners and the people we worked with cared about this, and we really wanted to work with them to be able to talk about solutions, create create space, and actually work on this problem. Um, so about two years ago, we uh, a year and a half ago, we started the Women in Web Literacy program, which I was really excited to create and then run for Mozilla. And within this space, we've been able to do things like take the Mozilla Clubs program, partner with UN Women, and say, what if we created Mozilla Clubs for Women and Girls and yeah. launched that project? And now we have a bunch of Mozilla Clubs for Women and Girls around the world. Wow. Um, we've been able to work with our core partners like ITU, Web Foundation, UN Women, um, UNICEF, others, to be able to actually uh, you know, talk about what it means to decrease the gender gap and what we can do towards it. Yeah. Um, we've also been able to create curriculum, resources, for, for women and girls in events that they might be going to. Um, and then, yeah, I've been able to, to travel myself and be able to run trainings and do workshops that really focus on how do we um, empower leaders, female leaders, and what can they do in their local communities. So tell me, what it, tell me a little bit about this gap, this right. gender gap, and, and then what does it mean when you, when you do train and educate and empower um, girls and women? Right. Um, well, there's a lot to talk about about this gap because okay. it's huge. Yeah. And it's uh, something that a lot of people, they know, they feel, they're working on. And it's, it's something we, we see a lot in the media right now. It's just that, you know, there is a large gender gap that exists in many industries and in many, in many places and in, in wages and all sorts of stuff. So mm -hmm. the tech industry is not immune to it. And yeah. things like the Internet is not immune to it. Okay. Um, but, you know, women face certain threats online. And you know, one of the large ones that we often hear about is women are harassed or treated unfairly online. Yeah. And so if you take something like that um, and relate it to kind of the work I'm doing right now is, you know, I'm creating resources for people to take and use in their, their schools, their community, in their groups, wherever they might be, that actually deal with how to, how to deal with harassment online or what to do or how to prevent it or how to be safe. And so there's a large resource repository that deals with that sort of stuff. And then on the other side, I've been really excited to work with some of my other colleagues and actually run events for women and girls okay. where we, uh, we go into a community in a certain city and we teach how to stay safe online. And we, we do it by actually, we call it Detox and Defend. Um, and we do it by doing a half portion where we teach privacy online and we pull out computers and devices and we do things like private browsing and teach why that's important, have okay. some add-ons that do block ads and tracking. Yeah. We do a whole bunch of that stuff and then we do the oh, second wow. half on self-defense. Yeah. And that's been really powerful for women because we're, and we, I, I'm saying we, but I'll speak for myself, yeah. you know, for a while when I'm walking down a street and 
I'm, I'm very aware of my surroundings and that I need to defend myself or protect myself uh-huh. in certain areas or situations or in unsafe neighborhoods. I'm really aware of that. Yeah. But when it comes to digital, I, I almost know I should be more, I should be equally aware of that, but, mm. I, but I don't take the steps to protect myself. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of research on this. So Pew, Pew Research has done a lot of research on the fact that women are almost double as likely than men to know that they should protect themselves and are, should be aware of their privacy online. Mm-hmm. But they do not take the steps to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. So we're creating spaces and environments where women you know, are equally aware that they should protect themselves on, online as much as they should offline. And then we're giving them skills and tools to be able to do that so that they are protected in the spaces they're in. Interesting. Um, you've lived here now for five years. Yeah. Um, a lot has, a lot has changed, not physically, but, mm. um, a, a lot has changed, I don't know, politically, I guess, is, is, is one word to use. Um, you were here when Obama was, was president. Um, you were here, I don't know if you were actually here during the election, like in New York, or if you were traveling. Um, in, in Canada, in Toronto, we, we only experience what happens around the world through the television, through the computer, what is being reported via news. Um, has anything changed? Um, what has changed? I'm curious. Uh, so I was definitely here, and I will never, for, I was, I will okay. never forget that night okay. um, because you know it, it was, uh, it was a really disheartening night, and mm-hmm. you know that that feeling in that moment of, for myself, uh, being out with my friends, like excited and enthusiastic, and you know potentially getting to see the first female president, mm-hmm. um, and then leaving feeling really disheartened was something that I will never leave me and you know the all the thoughts and reflections after so what that means um, so I was here and you know I'm, I'm lucky that I live in New York because New York is a progressive city yeah. and is um, very diverse in its culture and very you know uh, to a community that is was very supportive of Hillary and voted for Hillary mm-hmm. um, so that is that is definitely different than other places in the states and so I want to say that that you know in some ways it's made the community stronger in New York and the spaces and the places and you know what what the networks and people I know here what they're doing even you know doing it with with more strength and more um, furosity and you know actually really trying to combat and deal with stuff here mm-hmm. um, on the other side uh, I am a Muslim individual mm-hmm. and I, I see hate speech and I see things that happen in local areas I know that there are women with hijabs on New York transit that have been attacked. Mm-hmm. I know that there are situations where I wonder whether this is some space I want to be in in the city. Okay. Um, and I, I, I have personal feelings where I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, I've never felt this way. I've never felt unsafe in some of these spaces I've been or, you know, I've never felt like, am I worried about what's going to happen? Yeah. And so and, and I worry in general for the, for people around me and those that are affected by certain situations that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be quite honest, like a lot of my friends here are American and there are things that are affecting them all the time. Um, and so, you know, I think there is a lot that's changed. I think that the situations that myself and others live in have become quite stressful, quite, um, quite hard at times. Yeah. And, 
what has happened to many of us is we've we've started carrying the weight of that. We've we've carried the weight of being a female, woman of color, an immigrant, um, person with a visa, uh, Muslim. Like we started carrying more weight than we ever have before, yeah. and we're we're working on now. You know, how do we combat this in a strong way and mm-hmm. and fight back without getting too tired? Uh, which I've I run into, and it, you know, how do we maintain and sustain our strength because yeah. This is a long fight, and this is only the beginning of what is a longer fight over many years, and we, we are ready to fight back, and we want to fight back, and we're just trying to figure out what are the best ways and how do we do so. And no point in time was it, I'm tired of fighting, I'll just go home. For me, personally? Sure. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, that, that was really hard. I remember the moment after the election, yeah. I met with my friends and a bunch of us that were Canadian, and we were like, what do we do? Yeah. Do we leave? And yeah. that was that was genuinely the question on the table after mm-hmm. the election was, do we go? Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, many of us were considering it. Many of us were not traveling because we were scared to travel, especially really? those of us that were Muslim. Like travel? Travel within the States, travel outside the States, go home outside of Canada. Because mm-hmm. depending on where we were born or the facts like just that we are Muslim, we were scared to come back in. Mm. Or, you know, once we come back in, then they would... Um, they they could check our online presence because you know there's been this huge rule where if you're well now it's now it's if you are uh, a non-resident the government is able to check your social media and online presence yeah. no matter who you are uh, okay. before when they first started doing this it was if you were Muslim hmm. if you're a Muslim they're able to check your online presence and social media so yeah. this space that so much of us had been rallying around was now threatened yeah. Um, and so we were, we were scared, we were worried. And for myself, I realized that I've, I've lived here for five years. I have so many friends that are here. Mm-hmm. Um, many friends that, you know, are born and raised in the U.S. And, you know, I, I made a decision that I would stay and fight with them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing. Nice. Were you at the, um, the Women's March? I was. Yeah? Yeah. How, how was that? Like, tell them. Not how it was good, but like, what what was the feeling? What was the atmosphere? Um, yeah. Right. I um, So I attended a few rallies, marches in that time. Okay. Uh, I was at the airport when, with lawyers, when they were not letting uh, immigrants in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something I couldn't publicly share because I was traveling and my I was scared of my social media being monitored. Mm. Um, so I wasn't able to do things like check in or share or do these type of things because I... These are the type of things you worry about as being an immigrant or a visa holder or Muslim. Um, So I was at a bunch of them. The Women's March is something I did share because I was I was really proud. And just for the immense amount of people that showed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was I was really excited to be in New York, to be in the city I've lived in Mm -hmm. and to march. Mm -hmm. Um, And nothing could have prepared me for how I felt when I was marching. I went and I was excited and I knew there was going to be people there and to be honest, we got there and we couldn't move. And I spent an hour on one street. Yeah. And at that point, you're kind of like, this is frustrating. I can't even march in a march. But then the other part of you is like, but this is how many people have showed up today. Yeah. This is how, how many people have come out. And, yeah. you know, the stats on how many uh, people came out around the world and supported it and how many women marched together, women and men and supporters and allies was phenomenal and in like a short amount of time they orchestrated this thing Mm -hmm. that you know really brought together this community that was like we want to fight back and we're together and we're going to share our voice um and so you know i made signs with my friends the night before we showed up and then 
we sort of had this thing where we linked arms and we just we just stood there for that hour and we just smiled and we were happy and you know that moment of like we're fighting back was was a moment to take back ourselves in a point where we felt really low and we felt like so much of us had been taken. Mm -hmm. And so that feeling, it was so strong in that moment and I think was really important for many of us that had been feeling like so much of us had been taken and we um, we were really excited to just stand up for ourselves but know that there was like millions of people standing up with us. Yeah, all over the world literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything you've shared online socially right um, and I could say this about ever, almost everything but you genuinely seem very happy with um, with the work that you do um, you would I'm very curious what drives you yeah the people and that's probably where that happiness comes from mm -hmm. I I love what I'm able to do and who I'm able to work with. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that could replace that sort of happiness. When you are able to, to work with leaders, um, both women leaders, marginalized communities, my global leaders that are trying to you know, bring social and economic growth in their communities, wherever they might be. Um, when you're able to work with these type of people and actually help them discover their dreams, to achieve their dreams, to actually make an impact locally mm -hmm. is so fulfilling. And that's, it, it makes me so happy that I love sharing them and their stories and the work that, that's being done there because it's, it's something that, you know, we want equality across programs and people and, and globally in countries. Um, and to be able to kind of do that in like a small, tight little way in any sort of way possible, um, you know, it, it's what I want to be doing. And it's the work that I want to be doing. And, you know, there's not always like extreme happiness. There's points where sure, sure. they're fighting, I'm fighting with them, and yeah. we're fighting together. But you know, for the most part, the fact that you have this network of people that uh, they're there to support you, and and you're there to support them, mm -hmm. it makes it sort of a family-driven community, uh, which is why they're always loving and supporting me in different spaces. And I feel that, and I feel very grateful to have that sort of uh, community in place. That's so cool. Um, is there Someone that you've you've taught or has been in one of your classes or, or something along those lines that um, You know, I, I know change isn't always immediate But I'm curious if, if there's someone that you've met along the way over the past few years uh, at Mozilla um, That you know sticks with you. Oh my gosh. I have to pick just one. Oh. <laughs> there's so many <laughs> Oh, there's so many. I, I have like... As more than one if you want to. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's there's so many people and programs that I, I wouldn't even know where to start because yeah. um, there, there's so many great stories and connections mm -hmm. and the people I've met. Um, I will say, so it's really relevant right now, I take part in a U.S. State Department program called Tech Women. Okay. And so what Tech Women does is they bring... Uh, they bring about almost a hundred women from around certain countries around the world, mm -hmm. largely Africa, Asia, Middle East, and they bring them to the U.S., mainly San Francisco, well, mm -hmm. all San Francisco, for about a month and a half, where they do intense internships, they get mentored, and they go through all these processes like a fellow. Okay. Um, and so I've been a part of that now for three years, and so I, I'm really excited. I, I love spending time with women. I love being in spaces where women are doing great things, and I can see how we can lift each other up. 
Um, and I've been really lucky to be a mentor in the program. Mm -hmm. So what I've been doing every year is I get to mentor an individual in that program. Okay. And so I work with them intensely. They come on board as a fellow in our organization. Um, I onboard them. I work with them on projects and help them, you know, deal with issues in their local community. Uh, and then I spend some time with them and, and we work on, you know, work outside of that throughout the rest of the year to say, how does this impact and what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And so uh, last year, my, my individual, my mentee was uh, a beautiful woman named Mahina, who is a professor at a university in Tajikistan. Okay. And it was really, really exciting to actually work with her uh, and learn more about Tajikistan through her and actually, you know, the issues she faces as a, as a woman and at, in a school and the community and, you know, through technology. And sit down and say, okay, what do we what do we want to do to combat that? How do we build something? Yeah. Um, and we started developing programs together. And she's been taking that and actually working on implementing that in a school system. And mm -hmm. we still talk regularly, and we have this deep, deep connection and relationship that is almost like a sisterhood to me. It's it's somewhere where she can go to help. I can I can talk to her and get support. Um, we've developed this core, core relationship uh, of, you know, a mentor mentee has yeah. that has been phenomenal in my life, but also just shows me the power of what it means to, to connect with other women who are doing things that are inspiring, um, that are action orientated and are places where, you know, I might not be able to change anything there, but mm -hmm. I can support her. And that's where yes. it feels great. Um, so I, that's been someone, there's so many, but that's been one sure. in particular, a program that I love to be a part of. Uh, and this year, I, they just started their new fellowship about a few weeks ago. And my my new mentee, Chow, is okay. Dr. Chow is uh, from Kenya, okay. which is a country I love to go to and I go to often. Yeah. So uh, now we're I'm going through the whole new process again. Um, and so we will we will see in a month and a half where Chow and I land. But I already know that we we're like a match made in heaven in yes. our organization and our skills and everything. So it's great. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much. No worries. For your time. Was there, sorry, was there anything else you wanted to share? No, no. I'm so happy that we were able to talk. Yeah. Finally. Got, got through all that traffic. I know. New York traffic. <laughs> you learn about the train systems. Yeah, I should. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Kareem. Just kept rolling. You can call it religion. 
is to sing all aboard and bring your offerings that's me For more, for more, for more. That's me!